I was praying this week and um, seeking the Lord and saying, you know, every year we read the Christmas message and we look at the birth of Christ, but I wanted something with a punch. I wanted something that, that will um, challenge you in your walk with Christ. And maybe if you're not a Christian, it'll challenge you to become a Christian. So the, the title of my message this morning is The Magi Worshipped. Will you? Will you? What is your reason for coming to Christ Jesus? What is your reason for going to church? What is your reason for opening up your Bible and reading it? What, what is the foundational reason that you first came to Christ? Or maybe if you're not a believer, you know, why do I even need to come to Christ at all? You know, the Magi worship, will you? Will, will, will you bow and surrender before the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Because that's what, really what the passage is about this morning. Will you fall on your face and surrender? When you understand your conditions separated from the Lord, when you understand your sinful fallen state and, and, the, and this, the predicament that you're in, and then you understand grace and you understand the cross and you understand the great sacrifice that Jesus made, man, you will fall on your face just like these magi in adoration and worship before the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's why it's so important that we understand the gospel. That's why it's so important that we don't gloss over subjects like sin and depravity. Because once we know how far we've fallen, once we understand the bad news, it just glorifies the good news of Jesus Christ. So it's so important. So I want to dive into the passage. I'm going to talk about those things we just talked about as we move through the text. Um, but the Magi worship, will you worship? Um, if you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, the Bible verses will be up on the screen. So let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. And Father, as we look at the true meaning of Christmas this morning, Father, challenge us. Bring deep conviction in our hearts. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to your truth and help us believers truly in our hearts fall and bow before you and surrender and worship. And Lord, if there be anyone that's not a Christian, I, hope, I pray this morning that they will understand what the gospel is and they will have a desire to fall and bow and worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse, let's look at verse, the first two verses. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And the first question we have to ask ourselves is, Who are the Magi? What does, not, not, not what does... Uh, Churches tell us today the Magi are, but what does history tell us about who these guys are? They're called, many people call them wise men because, not because they sought Jesus, even though that is a very wise thing to do, but they were considered wise men back in that day because they were experts in science, agriculture, mathematics, history, politics, religion, and they had a special interest in, in the movement of the stars and astrology and the universe and, and all this, not astrology, but the movement of the stars and the movement of the planets and how the heavens and the earth 
worked. The Greek historian Herodias says of the Magi, he says, the Magi were a class of priests among the ancient Medes and Persians. They were likely, very likely, from the region of Babylon. John MacArthur says this in his commentary on the Magi. He says, these were an elite class of men. They caught everyone's attention. These men arrived in Jerusalem, no doubt, with a great deal of pomp and show. Their typical costumes would have included long cone-shaped hats, like those associated with wizards. Probably not on camels, but most likely on Persian Arabian war horses. They likely would have been traveling with a military escort because of their journey into the Roman Empire. And they would have been an imposing sight as they rode into Jerusalem seeking the king of the Jews to worship. But I want, what I want you to notice in, verses, um, in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 2 is they had one mission. And what was that mission? That mission was what I talked about in the title of my message. Their mission was to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They came to see he who was born king of the Jews. But I'm a thinker, okay? And when, I, when I look at the text and I read the text, my mind starts asking questions about um, the scriptures. Can we, can we bring up all the lights? Can we bring up all the lights for those who are reading? There we go. There we go. Um, the question that comes to my mind is, how did they know about the Jewish prophecy? Because if you read, this is the only passage on them. If you read verses 1 and 2, all one thing it tells us is they saw a star. So how did the Magi know about the Jewish prophecy? How did they know a star would lead them to the newborn king? That's a legitimate question. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 2. I think I'm going to be able to point to you this morning where and how they knew it was the king of the Jews. If you don't have your Bible, the verses will be up on the screen. But many, many years before Christ, Daniel the prophet, 500 years, um, I believe gives us some insight into how the Magi knew to come and worship baby Jesus, to worship the newborn king. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 2, it says this, Then the king gave orders to all the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king of his dream. So they came in and stood before the king. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 2, that word magician in the Greek Septuagint, which is... Uh, at the turn of the century, right before Christ, they were trying to Hellenize the Jewish culture. So what do they do? They translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. We call it the Greek Septuagint. In the Greek Septuagint, uh, this word magician in Daniel chapter 2, verse 2, is actually translated magi or mag maga, magi. Do you see magi, magician? So in the Greek Septuagint, there's a reference here to the, the Magi in Daniel chapter 2, verse 2. If you go on to study the rest of Daniel chapter 2, in verses 3 through 43, you'll see that the king uh, gives an order for his dreams to be interpreted. But they were not able to. But there's one who was, and that was Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel goes on to explain that there will be four kingdoms coming. Babylon... Persia, 
Greece, and Rome. And in that second paragraph, Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 through 45, Daniel is writing about this future kingdom that's going to come during the Roman Empire. And it says there in verses 44 through 45, it says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will in itself will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it was crushed, and it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, and the great God has made known to the king that will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and it is an interpretation, and is trustworthy. In Daniel's writings, in the prophet Daniel's writings here in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel, this prophet, 500 years before Christ, he establishes some facts about the coming king. Several of those facts in verses 44 through 45, if you look, that God will set up a kingdom. Well, when you have a kingdom, guess what comes with a kingdom? A king. A, a king. And it says it will never be destroyed. The Magi there in Babylon would have been like, wow, it will never be destroyed. Daniel had already established himself back in those days as a prophet of God. And everything he said, everything he predicted had come to pass. He says uh, in verse 44, it will crush and put an end to all kingdoms. There's only one eternal kingdom in this world. It's not America. It's, it's not politics. It's not even religion. There's only one kingdom that will last forever and ever, and that is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only kingdom that will last. And then also, if you notice up there in verse 45, he says this will take place in the future and that this is a trustworthy statement. These were Daniel's writings. These were Daniel's preachings. And the icing on the cake is, look at verse 48. Verse 48. Talking about Daniel's influence on the magi of his day. In verse 48, up on your screen, it says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel, the Old Testament prophet, in your Old Testament scriptures, he was over this elite class of men. There's no doubt that the Magi studied Daniel's prophecy. You see, they knew a king was coming. They knew a kingdom was coming. So to answer my question of how did they know about the Jewish prophecy, how did they know a star would lead them to a king of the Jews, I believe the Magi were coming to see and worship what their ancient prefect, Daniel, had prophesied. See, faith has always come by hearing the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. These men, this class that, that followed after Daniel, this, this group of Magi, they, they understood the writings of Daniel. And as many, many scholars believe, if they had the writings of Daniel, they most likely also had the writings of Isaiah. They had a complete picture in their scriptures of the coming Messiah. You know, Old Testament saints are saved just like we are today, by faith. 
by trusting in the Lord, by putting their faith in the Lord. They look forward. We look back. We look back to the great sacrifice of the Messiah. We look back to the newborn king. They looked forward. And these men, the magi that we're looking at this morning, there was no distance too far for them to travel. In other words, nothing was going to get in the way. They were coming to bow and worship before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Why? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. They had seen the writings of the prophet Daniel, and now it was time to go and see the newborn king. And I like to think there was nothing that stood in their way. They were going to go see that king, and they're going to face a big obstacle we're going to see in a minute. But no matter what happens, they were going to see that king. The question I ask you this morning, thinking about the Magi, do you share that same passion? Do you share that same passion, that same zeal that says, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm coming after you no matter what. I don't care how far I got to travel. We can barely get people to come to church these days, unfortunately. Or at least watch online or get into the word or seek the Lord at their place of where they're at in life. You don't, you don't have to come to church. You can do it at home. You can get in the Word. But these men traveled thousands of miles to see the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How far are you willing to go in your pursuit of the Lord to dig deeper, to seek Him with all your heart, and to say, God, help me. Give me a heart like this Magi. Let us have the same passion. Now, it's also important to note as we study uh, Dan, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, there's actually two plots taking place. So we're going to be straddling the fence between two plots taking place in this passage. And the two plots that are taking place is, one, the Magi are coming to worship the Lord Jesus. They're, they're traveling across Arabia. They're heading to Jerusalem. They're following the great star. They're going to go see the Messiah that Daniel had prophesied about. But at the same time, there is a diabolical... You know what that means? Satanic. There is a diabolical, wicked, evil plan to murder Jesus Christ. To murder our Lord and Savior. To take this baby out. And we pick that theme up in verse 3. Look at verse 3 of Matthew chapter 2. It says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now you need to understand if you know anything about Herod, he was a very wicked man. He was a cruel tyrant. He was bloodthirsty. Uh, he was bent on dominating people. He had a wife and two sons murdered. Nothing was going to stand in the way. He was a very diabolical person. And it says there in verse 3, it says when King Herod heard this, it says he was troubled. Why was he troubled? Because his kingdom was threatened. His kingship his authority, his rule was threatened. I think maybe he may have, may have heard of the prophecies. Maybe, maybe he heard of the prophecies. Maybe he saw these magi coming and, wow, these are the magi from the east. I need to pay close attention to this. And he knew that this king of the Jews would threaten his kingdom. And it also says in verse 3, I want to draw to your attention, it says, and all Jerusalem with him. That speaks of the, the tyrannical nature of who Herod was. The people feared him. The people feared him because he was mean, he was crude, and, and, and we're going to see in the passage that 
he murders the unborn. He murders the unborn. Let's continue. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, Herod is getting fixed. He's like, okay, i got to find out who this dude is that's threatening my kingship. i got to get to the bottom of this. His diabolical plan goes as this. He says, verse 4, gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. The chief priests and the scribes, these were experts in the scriptures. These were the guys, these were the preachers of the first century. These guys taught in the synagogues of the Jewish people, and they taught the Old Testament scriptures. So he goes directly to them because there's a reverence and there's a respect for the scripture. And he knows that the scripture is true. As we say, as he knows the Bible is true. So he goes to find out to them what the facts are. Verse 5, asking them, where's the Messiah to be born? These uh, chief priests and scribes, they respond to him and they say, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, all of Israel. So the scribes and the chief priest, they respond to this wicked man by quoting Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which, which is a prophecy foretelling that, that Christ will come uh, out of Bethlehem and his origins will be from all eternity. So here he establishes um, the location. Now he's got to find out when, when. Because this is a large kingdom uh, across Israel. Now, Bethlehem wasn't. Bethlehem, many scholars believe, it was less than 200 people. But there was a lot of people across that region. So now he wants to know when so he can determine when was the child born. And this gives us insight into the nativity. And when did the Magi come to visit Jesus? Was it when he was a little baby in the manger? Or was it years later? Let's take a look. Um, We'll we'll get there in a little bit. Verse 7. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, look look at this right here. He says, Report to me so that I too may come and worship him. That verse right there, verse 8, the second half of verse 8 up on the screen is the most hypocritical, diabolical, satanic statement in the Bible. That is the most wicked, depraved statement in all of Scripture right there in verse 8. This phrase is a pretext. You know what a pretext is? A pretext is a, is a cloak. It's when you ask a question but you're, you, you don't mean it. There's, there's, there, there's another meaning. It, there's, a real, there's a real mission. There's something that you're wanting to do that the question doesn't represent. You see, Herod had no desire to go and worship the king of the Jews. He had a murder plot on his mind. This, my friend, is the wicked side of Christmas. This is the evil We see God doing a great and mighty thing in bringing his son into the world, but Satan is raging and roaring like a lion and fighting against the incarnation. You know, Satan, 
does his very best to keep people away from the gospel. He does everything he can to dangle sin and keep people away from the truth of salvation and being set free by the, the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 2, talking about Herod's diabolical plan. I don't have it up on the screen, but I'll read it to you. But if you're looking in your Bibles, look down at verse 16 of Matthew chapter 2. We see this diabolical plan fulfilled in, in what Herod does. In verse 16 it says, Then Herod saw he had been tricked by the Magi. He became very enraged, and he sent and he slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in, in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were comforted no more. This is no hallmark Christmas story. This is the diabolical plan of Herod. This is how evil this guy was. Satan was in this man. And he, he hates the plan of God. He hates the plan of God. Satan desires to keep people in darkness. 1 John 3, 8 says, The purpose of the Son of God manifest was to destroy the works of the evil one. And we know by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead that he has destroyed the works of darkness in our life. And when a person experiences salvation and they get saved, they get to experience that same freedom and forgiveness they're no longer in darkness, but they're in his beautiful, glorious light. That's the reason for the incarnation. The reason for the incarnation can be summed up in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The reason for the incarnation, the reason for the birth and the nativity is so that Christ could come into this world and pay the price for your sins, to be the penal substitution, to pay the price so that you could be forgiven, so that you wouldn't have to pay the price with your soul in eternity in hell, so that he could forgive you and he pay the price. That is beautiful and glorious. He gives us a clean heart, a new life. That is the reason for the incarnation. And here, Herod, in his diabolical plan, is trying to destroy the Son of God. You know, we, we, don't, we don't fear Satan. We don't fear his evil, diabolical plans. There's no two opposing forces in the universe. It's not good versus evil, okay? Or it's not Satan versus God. They're, they're not on equal levels. God is way up here, and he's supernatural, and he's sovereign, and he's in complete control, and there's nothing Satan can do to thwart the plans of God. Amen? So we don't need to, don't, don't look at it as two equal forces because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God alone is sovereign. God alone is in control. And Satan is just running around on this earth like a roaring lion trying to devour people and, and wreck people's lives and keep them from coming to know Christ Jesus. And he's using Herod. Let's continue, verse 9. Um, verse, okay, verses, uh, verse 8 the Matthew moves from the, the narrative of Herod back to the uh, 
Back to the narrative uh, of the Magi. Look at verse 9. Remember I said those two, two things taking place? Let's switch back to the Magi. Verse 9. It says, After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So there was a star. There was a star in the heavens that was leading the way, that was illuminating their path. It was, a, according to the scriptures, it was a majestic heavenly body. Did you know that God owns every single element and molecular structure of the universe? He owns every single star. He knows exactly how many specks of dirt are on Mars. We don't know how many stars are out there. The, the, the scientists in the Middle Ages counted 1,000. They counted 2,000. And the, the number kept going up as, as science being growing and growing. But by our day and age, now they estimate that there are millions in innumerable amount. If they would just would have went to the Bible, they could have got the answer from the beginning. It says, he knows them all. There, there, there's not a set number. The, the universe as we know it, is endless in every direction. You can't get in a space shuttle and keep going and, and one day run into a brick wall. There is no brick wall. It's endless in every direction. And God, the sovereign Lord of the universe, owns it all. Do you, understand, do you see how big God is? He, he's a big God. Psalms, uh, chapter 147, verse 4 says, He determines the number of stars and he calls them each by name. He's, he's got a name for everyone. He's in complete control of them. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26 says, Raise your eyes on high and see he, excuse me, see who has created these stars, the one who brings their multitude by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Christian, the God you serve, he owns it all. Psalms chapter 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night unto night they display knowledge. Do you know at nighttime it's really not nighttime? Do you know that? It's actually the earth is orbiting, and you're getting a spectacular view of the universe. The night sky that we call nighttime is actually us looking out into the glory of God, looking out into the heavens, looking out into the universe. And then in the daytime, we got to face the sun. He owns all that. He controls all that. Interesting. Has anybody heard about what's going to happen tomorrow night? Uh, tomorrow night, I, I was watching the news yesterday, and tomorrow night around 545, you know, set your phones, set your timers, whatever. But tomorrow night around 545, there's supposed to be this spectacular cosmic event that we'll all be able to see if we look up into the sky. And it, is, um, it has not happened since the year 1226, but evidently there are going to be some planets that are coming close together, and it's going to form a bright light, and many uh, astronomers are calling it Bethlehem Star. And they can, they're measuring it and figuring, it, okay, the last time it happened was 1226. So check it out. So what was the star? There's, multiple, there's, multiple, there's several interpretations. Uh, there's a camp that believes that the star of Bethlehem was the Shekinah glory. 
It was a Shekinah glory manifestation that led the Magi from Babylon to Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Amen. It could be that. It could be a, 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 a literal star formed up in the heavens by stars and planets and a bright shining light that led them. It could be either one. But either way, it was God's way of illuminating. It was God's way of illuminating the path of the Magi, more important than what it was, even though that's cool to think about and study and, and research. But the most important thing about this star is it was illuminating their path to go to Jerusalem and to see the promised Messiah from the words of, of the um, prophet Daniel. So tomorrow, 545, go outside, check it out. We'll, we'll all look at it together and see what we think. But they're calling it Bethlehem Star. But notice in verse 10 in the text, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There's great joy in Christ. There's great joy when you find Christ. He is our joy. He is our treasure. He is the, he is the, 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 the source of joy. He is the treasure above all treasures. Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 3 says, In him, talking about Christ Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Man, when you come to the saving knowledge of Christ and you bow your knee before him, he gives you great joy. Great joy. Why? Because you're no longer an enemy of God by wicked works and by our sin, but you're in a right relationship. You have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in a right relationship with him. You have him dwelling on the inside of you. You are a Christian. And on top of that, there's a tranquil joy. There's a peace. There's a joy in our hearts knowing that all is well, despite what's going on around us in the world, despite what's happening with our family or, or the world or the COVID or, or politics or, or whatever the, the noise. I, I call those things noise. But no matter what those are, we can have an exceeding great joy in the Lord despite what's going on around us. Let's look at verse 11. Did those magi visit Jesus in the stable? Or was it possibly years later? Look at verse 11. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. Notice there in verse 11, the scripture says, a house. It doesn't say after coming into a horse stable or coming into a barn or coming into a cave. It says they, and then it says they saw a child. That's interesting. Not a baby, not a newborn. Scholars believe that Jesus was likely um, close to being two years old. He was likely close to being two years old. And that matches with... Um, Herod's statement of saying uh, in Matthew chapter 2 verses 16 where he says go and take out all the children that are two years and under because he understood that this birth had possibly taken place two years ago that's why he says you know take out the children murder the children that are two years and under because Jesus was probably around the age of two years old so that's why we believe the Magi came much later and then verse 11 says um, here we go, talking about worship. The Magi worship, will you worship? And look at verse 11. 
We're going to slow down in this verse. It says, and they fell to the ground and they worshiped him. There are seven Greek words in the New Testament for the word worship. The Greek word used here in, in Matthew 2.11 is, is proskuneo, and it means to fall upon your knees. It means to fall on your knees and touch your head to the ground. This was the type of worship that the Magi came before the Lord Jesus Christ as a child, and they showed him. They were showing him reverence. They were showing him adoration. This is true worship. This is true worship when, when we get to a place in our lives where we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and we humble ourselves, where we say, Lord, I am not too prideful to bow before you, to, to bow before you in humble adoration, to bow before you and give my life to you, to bow before you in a Abandon the old life, abandon the sin, abandon living in darkness, and say, Lord Jesus, I want to live for your honor and your glory. I have a feeling that this was the, the highest, this was the peak of their life. We don't know how old they were, but we know from their, the, 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 their ancient prefect, Daniel, we know that they most likely studied his writings. They were, they were seeing the fulfillment of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of like you and I now living, in, living the Christian life. We come week after week and we study the word and we read our Bibles. But one day, one day, you will be standing before him and it will no longer be living by faith and, and understanding him from the scriptures. But one day, you will bow before him in heaven and you will say, worthy is the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. I believe that you and I will have this ultimate experience. Ultimately, we can do it now. We can experience his grace and his forgiveness and his joy now. We can. But the highest level will be the day we stand before him, just like, just like these magi, when we stand before him in his glory. So, let's continue. <laughs> There's so much more I want to go here. It says in verse 11, then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I believe the essence of worship, the essence of what worship is, uh, can be understood when we look at these three gifts that were presented to the king, that were presented to the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship, authentic worship, is when you understand the essence of these three gifts. The first one, oh, by the way, how many, how, many, how many magi were there? We don't know. We don't know. We, we, in our plays, we, we see three magi, but the Bible doesn't tell us. The early church fathers uh, debated it. Some believe it was three based on the uh, three gifts. Some believe it was 12 based on the 12 tribes. But the, the right answer is we're not sure. We're not sure. But we do know that three gifts, so maybe it was three. But these three gifts that were, that were um, presented to the Lord Jesus, I believe these, these are the essence of worship. And the first one is gold. Gold that was presented to the Lord Jesus Christ when he was two years old by the Magi represents his deity. It represents his deity. It represents his kingship. It represents his, his sovereignty, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They had lived by faith. They had understood the scriptures. If they had, and if they had Isaiah on top of Daniel, the Old Testament scriptures, 
man, they, they knew it probably just as well as you and I did because the gospel is in the Old Testament. But the gold that they presented, they knew this was, this was going to be deity. This king was going to represent deity, kingship, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. And we bow and worship the Lord Jesus Christ because he is God. He is God and he is deity. He is the creator of the universe. He is the creator of all things. The second one there, frankincense. Frankincense uh, is a word that represents uh, perfume. Perfume. And we know that Jesus is the fragrance of heaven. Jesus is the sinless lamb of God. He never sinned. He lived a sinless, perfect life in our place. You and I, we're sinners. Christ, he is perfect. And he, he, is, he is the fragrance of heaven. And being a sinner, uh, standing before a sinless lamb of God, it produces a heart of worship. So I think the Magi, in this moment, they understood he was deity, and they understood that he was going to be the sinless son of God, and it caused them to worship. And then finally, the third gift there in verse 11, it says they presented to him myrrh. Myrrh is a, a symbol of, uh, of bitter herbs, uh, of bitter herb. And this myrrh, this bitter herb, it, it represents, it's a picture of, if you would call it that, a picture of his sacrifice. A picture of his sacrifice, his suffering, and his death. And when you understand that, not that Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, but that when you understand Jesus died on the cross for my sin, he made the sacrifice for me. See, Jesus was perfect. He was perfect. He did not need forgiveness. He did not need forgiveness. He was the perfect lamb of God. Who needed forgiveness? That was you and I. You and I. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and it says for all have sinned and fallen short of, of God's glory. And the scripture says that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You say, why do I need Jesus? Because you're a sinner. And you need forgiveness. And, and you need the righteousness of God. You need reconciliation. And there's nothing that you can do in and of yourselves to produce that. The Lord Jesus Christ did. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Jesus suffered and died on the cross. Not because you have a God-shaped hole in your heart. Not because you can experience God's wonderful plan for your life but he died on the cross, according to scripture, for your sin. He offers complete forgiveness. You know, when, when somebody does another person wrong, what always happens? It gets held over their head. You remember it forever. You know, we, we people here, creatures here on earth, we have a difficult time uh, forgiving people. And sometimes people don't forgive people, but it's not that way with God. It's not that way with the Lord. He forgives, and he has displayed that true love and that grace and that forgiveness by the cross. 
That's why we worship the Lord Jesus. Because he is deity, he is the sinless lamb of God, and he died on the cross for our sins as the gold, frankincense, and myrrh uh, represent. Verse 12, our final verse we're looking, at, we're looking at this morning, says, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. I find this interesting. I, I, there's biblical, tr- there's truth in every verse in the Bible. That's why we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. There is something there. You, you got to study it. You got to meditate on it. You got to spend time studying it and looking at it closely. But in verse 12, do you see the change? Do you see the change in the Magi? They came one way and they left another. How, co- how cool is that? When you encounter the Son of God, you will be changed. You will be changed. Your life will, will, will make a U-turn. You'll start moving in a different direction when you start following the Lord Jesus Christ. He will change and he will transform your life. Having been warned by God in a dream. In other words, these men who came to worship Christ Jesus God was speaking to them. God was communicating to them. These weren't just some pagan rulers coming to pay homage to Jesus. But it says, but God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Because they, we know what Herod's plan was. Herod's plan was diabolical. I closed my message this morning, this Christmas message this morning, with, with, with the statement, the Magi worship, will you? Will you worship and bow before the Son of God? What keeps, us, what keeps us from worshiping? What keeps us from coming to that place of authentic worship? The focus is on ourself. It's, it's so deeply ingrained in every one of us. It's just ingrained in our, in our minds and our hearts and it's ingrained by the culture, and it's ingrained by our environment, but it, and it's a hard shell to break. It's, it's, it's a difficult shell to break out of, but it's that focus. Our life's focus is on ourself, and the Christian life focus is not on yourself, but it's on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what keeps us from coming to a place of worship. Our carnal flesh our carnal flesh, our, our lust of the flesh keeps us from coming to a place of worship. Pride, you know, when you become a Christian, I'm, I'm speaking to Christians now, when you become a Christian, the war with the flesh does not end, unfortunately. You know, we still wrestle at times with our, with our pride. We still wrestle at times with our sinful nature. We still wrestle with times with uh, that song by Toby Keith, it's all about me, it's all about I, it's all about number one. We still wrestle with those elements in our life. That's why we have to continually, it's, that's why it's a battle. We have to continually fight the good fight and keep ourselves in, in an attitude of surrender and in an attitude of worship before the Lord Jesus Christ. True worship takes place. One, when you understand how holy God is, how sinful you are, and then you understand grace displayed at the cross.
That's the good news of the gospel. When you rightly understand the bad news, that you are under judgment, that you are under condemnation because of your sin and your fallen state, and then you understand the beautiful, glorious, good news, worship will take place in your life. You will lift up a shout. You will praise the Lord. You will say, thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for salvation. True worship takes place when you die to yourself, when you live for Christ. I know some of you are like, oh, gosh, I'm not there. I just want to encourage you this morning to grow, to move in that direction, to to make a decision. Today is going to be the day of salvation. Today is going to be the day where I say, you know what, I'm going to die to myself, and I'm going to live for Christ. We, we, uh, Magi worship, will you? We worship when we turn from our sin and we live for righteousness. We worship when we have one consuming passion. And that passion is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to be on fire, to be on fire. Charles Spurgeon says, get on fire for the Lord and the world will come to watch you burn. Man, let his zeal, let his passion, let the, the, the spirit work in your heart. Get, get in your prayer closet and say, Lord, I need you. I need you to help me. Give me a growing passion. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I don't have, I, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know I've been born again, but I don't have that passion. Stir yourself. Get into the word and cry out to God and say, Lord, give me a passion to be on fire for you. And he will do it. In your, in your place of worship, lift up your hands. Exalt the name of the Lord. Say, God, do your work in my life. Give me a hatred for sin. Give me a love for righteousness. And let the Christ of Bethlehem, the Lord Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, let him be a consuming fire. The scripture says, our God is a consuming fire. What is that talking about? I, I, I just believe that the more and more that we trust in him, the more and more we live for him, the more and more he ignites a passion in our soul for him. That's the Christ of Christmas. And I hope that that's your desire to worship. And I believe that that was the heart of the Magi. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the... Um, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Lord, I pray, God, that you'll give us a heart to worship, that you'll give us a heart to serve you, love you, not be religious, but just have a passion to serve you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.